As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Well, I like there the first part of that verse, Jesus it says again, he says, peace be unto you. One of the things that I didn't have growing up, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I, I grew up in a, a wonderful home in many ways. My, my parents were great, but they, you know, they didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't, we didn't uh, go to church. We didn't know what the Bible said. And so because of that, there wasn't a lot of peace in our home. In fact, my parents ended up getting a divorce when I was in the seventh grade. And, and with that, it gave me a lot of freedom. So through junior high and high school, I had all this freedom. Well, you give a young man a lot of freedom, and he doesn't usually choose wisely with that. And that's exactly what I did. I, I lived a very destructive lifestyle through my junior high and high school years, doing a lot of things that I regret and that brought a lot of consequences, bad consequences in my life. And so as I was entering my uh, senior year and I was about ready to graduate high school, I started thinking about the next phase of my life. And I thought, if I continue down the road that I'm at, on, then life is not going to go well with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, it's, it's going to be miserable. And so as I thought about that, I thought, how can I change this? I have no joy. I have no peace. I have no love in my life. What, what, what is, where is that at in this life? And I, I even, I considered many things. I didn't even want to live anymore. But thankfully, there was a time when I was in the third grade that a Baptist preacher came by and knocked on our door, and he invited us to church. And so we were picked up by a bus for about three months while we lived in that location, and I was able to hear about Jesus in the third grade. Now, I didn't get saved, but I remember thinking, I like Jesus. My Sunday school teacher did a wonderful job and told me about Jesus. Now, I want to just pause there, and if you work with the youth, and I encourage you back there, thank you for the testimony, and sometimes it seems as though they're not paying attention to you. Sometimes you're thinking, why am I even doing this? I'm wasting my time. I'm sure my Sunday school teacher thought that about me, but I'm grateful for her, because when I was looking for answers at the age of 18, I remembered the things that she told me, and I thought, maybe Jesus can help me. So I decided to go to church. I went to what's called, it was actually a church meeting in the Greenhorn Grange, which is simply an agricultural uh, place in, in Northern California. That A grange is a place where the ranchers would meet and talk about uh, ranching type stuff, and they would decide on those things. And so the church was meeting there, and I walked in, and I sat down, not knowing what to expect. But the preacher opened the Word of God and said something to the effect of what Romans chapter number 3 says, that there is none righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm sitting there th- I was sit- sitting there thinking, well, that's right, that's me. I've broken man's law, and I've broken God's law, so certainly the Bible is right there. Then he went on to say what Romans chapter number 6 says, the wages of sin is death. And he explained that that death means eternal separation from God. And I, I knew what wages are. I know what uh, wages are something that you earn. So my sin had earned me eternal separation from God in a place called hell. I was scared. I knew that, that that's exactly what I deserved because I have sinned. But thankfully, he didn't stop there. He went on to say the second part of Romans 6.23 was his, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ my Lord. So that day, I repented of my sins and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. My eyes were open. I knew something had changed in my life. I knew that I was not the same person as I walked out there that day. And in fact, I even had someone later, a young gal in, our, in, our, in my senior class, and she came up to me and says, why are you always smiling these days? She noticed the difference. I mean, there was a difference in my life. And so I went off to college. It was a very secular college because I already had plans to go. It was literally right towards my graduation of high school that I got saved. 
So I went off to this very secular college, but thankfully there was, a, there was people there that shared the, uh, the, the, discipled me in the Word of God and showed me how to live the Christian faith. And, and during that time, I mentioned in the video that there was a seed planted in my life. Well, there was a group called the Caleb Project that came by, and they talked about the, getting the gospel to the world. And I thought, I signed a pledge saying that I would do whatever I could to get the gospel to the world. But I was young in the Lord, and so even though I made that commitment, I, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I was going to be involved in that. So we became senders. My, my wife and I got married soon thereafter. She has a similar testimony. She got saved at the age of seven, but really didn't grow up in church. It was in college where someone discipled her in the Word of God. She realized, I need to start living what this Bible says. And so as we got married, we, we determined to live for God however we could. We moved out to Georgia in 1999. I got in, involved in the software field, and uh, God blessed that, that choice. We moved out there to, for that specific purpose, and I was able to start making very good money and working at home, and everything was going great. But during that time, in 2004 in particular, I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, got to verse number 14, and the Lord really just spoke to me in this verse. You know, it says there that the love of Christ constraineth us. You know, the love of Christ is the fact that he was willing to die on the cross for your and mine sin. Now, our sin, he was willing to die for us. That is the love of Christ, that he was willing to do that so that we could have eternal life. And that should constrain us. That means it should grab a hold of us. And as I read that, I realized that's true, it should. And as I even just started meditating on the love of Christ, it, it did grab a hold of me. But then it says something further there. Paul goes on to say that, that we should thus judge that if he died for us, we ought to live for him. That means we should logically come to the conclusion that if he died for me, I ought to live for him. And so in 2004, I realized, you know, I need to start doing more for Christ. I mean, we'd been serving in the church and doing different things, but I realized I want to do even more. I want to live for Christ, my, my whole, do everything that I can to serve him. And so he allowed us the opportunity to get into uh, serving. I was in, got in leadership of our church. I was able to start preaching in the prison ministry and preaching in the assisted living home ministry. We saw people get saved in both of those ministries. And uh, we, were, we were just serving God. I was able, the pastor went out with him door-to-door -door knocking. And, and I encourage you, by the way, to come out next Saturday at 1, 1 p.m. That's very important to do. Amen, yeah. But I tell you, it's, it is well worth it. I'll tell you, you know, sometimes you go out there and it's really a scary thing. I tell you. I do it all the time, but the first door I knock on every single time is always frightening for me. And I don't know why, but it just is. But once you knock on that first door, start the first conversation, it's amazing how it just goes. So I would encourage you to come out because it does a couple things. And I know there's a side note here. It does a couple things. One of the things, it helps you to share the gospel outside of that period as well. And so I, I started doing it because pastor asked me to do it, but then uh, I, I started no, noticing the benefits that I was also sharing the gospel more outside of that because I thought, well, I just went around knocking on people's door. I should share with my coworkers and, and those that I'm around all the time, my neighbors, and, and it just really helps you to do that. So I would encourage you to do that. But so uh, as we were serving local church, then we moved to Vision in 2012 and I became a deacon there. I started teaching in the adult Sunday, adult Sunday school class. And as I was teaching that, one, one uh, morning in particular, one of the things I would do is pray for the different prayer requests that I would get during the week. I mean, during the, on Sunday, I'd pray for it throughout the week. And one morning as I was praying for that, I got through praying, and I opened my New Testament reading for the day. And it was Matthew chapter number 7, 8, and 9. As I got to the end of chapter number 9, it says this. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, 
because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, this is a living word. It's amazing. I've read that passage so many times, I, I can't even number him. But that morning in particular, it was though Jesus was in the room and he was raising his hand saying, you know, you just got through praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I have a prayer request too. And it's right here. You know, this is the only time that Jesus, it recorded that Jesus specifically asked you and I to pray for something. It's in two different places in the scripture, but it's the same prayer request. Now he tells us to watch and pray. He tells us to pray, he even taught the disciples how to pray. But here he's saying, will you pray for this? And, and that just stuck out to me. And I started, so I wrote it down on my list and I started praying and asking God to raise up more laborers. And as I would do that, I would think about it because it says there, the harvest truly is plenteous. So this is an agricultural illustration that Jesus has given us to show us a spiritual truth. And that, that, that uh, what he's showing us here is that the harvest truly is plenteous. I mean, there's souls all over the world that are ready to be saved. But that's not the problem. What's the prayer request? There's not enough laborers going and taking the gospel to them. And, and so as I started praying for that, I started thinking about blueberries. Anybody love blueberries here? We do. We have 12 blueberry plants. We pl planted them in our backyard, 12 blueberry plants in our backyard. And, and so every year towards the end of June, we start getting blueberries. God designed the blueberry plant so that they would a, a fresh grouping of blueberries would be available every day. But if someone doesn't go out and pick those blueberries... They fall to the ground and they perish. And that's the illustration. You know, the, if we believe this Bible, which I do, Jesus says that there's only one way for eternal life. A man must be born again. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by him. People must hear the gospel and receive it to be saved. And so that means there's people all over the world that are perishing, going into eternity, a Christless eternity, because a laborer has not gone there to take the gospel to him. And that's what, so I started begging God for that. As I was praying, I started thinking about younger people in our church, I must admit. I was thinking, God, you really need to work in this person's life or, or this person's life here. You need to really touch them and call them into the ministry. Well, as I was doing that one morning, he just spoke to my heart real clearly, and he said, will you go? You know, the reason why I told you a little bit of my testimony, because I wanted you know, to, to hear the fact that not only did he save me for all eternity, but he saved me from a life of destruction on this earth. And so it was really an easy answer in the sense because he is Lord, and there's only one answer you give the one you call Lord, right? It's yes. But also because he's been so good to me. He's been so good to us. It was, yes, Lord, I will go. I will um, take that. You no, know, I know the reason why I read uh, John chapter number 20 uh, when we first got started, because he has given me the peace. He says, peace be unto you. But then he says, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? I think the most succinct place in the Bible that tells us how he was sent is in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 9. It says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. You know, Jesus was worshipped. He was in his place of comfort in heaven. He was in a place where everything was good for him, everything he knew. That's where he was. And the Father says, I want you to go, become a man, and, and make yourself poor on the earth, become your creation, 
and then allow your creation to mistreat you and die on a cross so that people might be saved. That's how the Father sent Jesus. And what does he say? So send I you. So, you know, there may be a time when Jesus asked you to leave your place of comfort. He was asking us to leave our place of comfort. I believe the United States is the greatest country of all time. You know, we, I've, I've been to many other countries, and this is a great country. It's a wonderful place to live. One thing, it's the only place that I've known to live before, so I like that part of it. But also, it's just a great place to live. We have so many freedoms here. And I know that many of them are being encroached on this day, but we have so many freedoms. We are so blessed here. If you work hard, you can be successful in this country. We have freedom of religion. We, we are very blessed to be here. We don't have to worry about someone coming through those doors and arresting all of us and, and because we're worshiping here. This is a great country. It's a comfortable country. It's what I know. But Jesus was saying, that's the way the Father has sent me. Will you, be, will you go as well? So send I you. So God may ask you sometimes to leave your place of comfort and go and serve him in another place. He may even call someone you here tonight to go, leave your place, and, and surrender to take the gospel to the world. But that's what he was asking us to do. And so we sur I surrendered to be a missionary, but God already had to figure it out where we were going because in just a few months, we were going to land in China. See, when God called us, we already had tickets purchased. We were, going to, we were taking a group of young people to China to visit the missionaries that were in Dalian, China. If you look at our map back there, it's the 10 City Initiative, and Dalian is one of those cities. Well, we landed in that country, and as we landed, it says here in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Well, as pastor said, it is the largest populated country in the world, so we saw the multitudes of China, 1.4 billion people. You know, it's hard for us. That's just a number. We don't even really think about that, right? But the United States is number three on the population list. We're number three. If you multiply our population by four, you still do not reach the population of China. That's how many people are there. And so we saw the multitudes, and we had compassion on them. And I'll tell you, the, the main time that really God grabbed a hold of me, we were able to go to what's called an English corner. An English corner is simply a place that the Chinese college students would come to, and they'd congregate in order to practice their, the English language, because they know if they learn English, they can do better in commerce. And so they would come and practice with one another. Well, we were able to go to these places, and it was a great time for us because we didn't know the language, and so we were able to go there and talk with them. And so as we walked up, they would just surround us because they, they want to hear an English speaker speak the language so they can learn it correctly. And so we could ask about, talk about anything we wanted to talk about. And so knowing that there's a, they live in a government that believes there is no God, I would ask them straight away, I would say, do you believe that there is a God? And without fail, these young college students gave me a similar answer. They said, I was told in the fifth grade that there is no God, and I haven't thought about it since. And that broke my heart, because I realized, isn't it true, that if an uh, authority figure tells you something as a young person, you'll continue to believe it, even if it's a lie, until someone challenges your thinking. And so that's what they need in China. They need someone to challenge their thinking, because their whole system of government teaches that there is no God. And so they'll continue to believe that until someone challenges their thinking. Now, someone might say, well, don't they have the general revelation that we all have creation? But one of the things you need to understand in China is that most of the people live in the cities. And in the cities, all you see are high-rises as far as the eye can see. All you see is man-made things all, all around you every single day. 
And so they need a preacher to go and take the gospel to them. And so we surrender to the country of China, and we're gonna, we will go there, and we will uh, preach the gospel. We will start churches, and our main focus and the, the way we can reach China with the gospel is by training men to train men. In 2 Timothy chapter number 2, uh, God has laid out how we can reach them with the gospel. It says this, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need the grace of the Lord to be able to do any of this. But then he says this, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. See, that, this is exactly what Jesus did. He, had, he, he gathered 12 people around him, and he trained them in the work of the ministry, and then he sent them out. Paul is telling Timothy, this is how we reach the world with the gospel. You find uh, the things that you have heard among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. To train men to train men. You know, really, it's the responsibility of every single one of us is to train others the things that we know and do in the church. So I would encourage every single one of you to ask pastor, what can I be doing to serve in the church? And then once you learn and become proficient at it, find someone else, excuse me, find someone else that you can train to do that same thing. Because if we all work at doing that, we can continue. And as you become proficient in something and train someone to take your place, then you move on to something else that God would call you to do. And we can reach the world in our generation if we'd be willing to do that. I think this is where the church has fallen. We've got busy with other things and not training men to train men. But that's what we're called to do. And that's what we're going to do in China. One of the things that's often asked about us, well, how can you get into China? Isn't it a closed country? We like to call it a creative access country. That's mean because you can't get in there as a missionary. We go in under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not under the communist government authority. They don't want us there, uh, but, but we go in. First of all, we'll go in with a student visa, and we'll be learning the language for the first two years. It's Mandarin Chinese, and as we learn Mandarin Chinese, we'll be working alongside another missionary that's further along than us, and he'll, we'll be helping him to start a church in Jinan, uh, China. And so we'll get in with a student visa. After that, we either go in with a tourist visa, which is a, you can get a 10-year tourist visa in China, but it, you can't necessarily stay there for 10 years, but it's a 10-year visa and you have to leave periodically. Or we're going to get a business visa. Now, we've had some great success on our team with the business visa, and that would be the way that we try to do it, but you must have, have a sponsor in the country. And so it is, it is a, a little bit creative how you get in, but we know that we have the authority to go. And we go because if they don't hear the gospel, they will not be saved. You know, you are all very blessed. If you are born again here, you know exactly where you're going when you die. We, we know the last breath that we breathe, we know where we'll be. We'll be in the arms of Jesus. But there's 1.4 billion people, I'd say probably more like 1.2, that have never even heard the name of Jesus before. You know, it said in, it said in China that 1,100 people die an hour an hour in China. The best number that we have for the people that are saved or, or that are considered Christian in China is 5%. Now that 5% counts all Catholics, all the other, other cults, and it counts even, there's some specific cults in China that are specific to China, but they, that counts them as well. But let's just take that number. If you take 5% of the 1,100 that die every hour, that's still over 1,000 people that die every hour going into a Christless eternity. There's a great need in the country of China. So would you pray for us? Would you pray that God would help us to get there, that God would help us to learn the language, and that God would help us to train as many men as possible in our generation? 
you know, I mean, in our lifetime. I have a real easy way for you to remember to pray for us. How many of you like putting pepper on your food? Anyone? Next time you reach for that pepper shaker, remember that you're dining with pepper and pray for the pepper dimes. But don't forget it's friend salt and pray that we'll be salt and light to the Chinese people. And then if you forget what country we're going to, when you get through eating, just turn your plate over and it probably says made in China, right? Because everything is made in China these days. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit about what God's going to do. We know it is God that's going to do it. It's not us. We go there as laborers. That's what he's called us to. Uh, but we trust that he will use us there. And we know that we serve the same God that we read about in the Bible that's done great and mighty things and that he will use us to do the same thing. If you would, turn in your Bibles to um, John chapter number 15. We'll just look at a couple things. I guess going with the theme, I was praying about what to uh, preach on tonight. And as I was doing that, I, I was thinking about um, this passage in John chapter number 15. The reason why I like this passage is because it's very clear why it was written. It says here in um, verse number 11 of John chapter number 15, it says, These things have I spoken unto you. So it was written down what Jesus had just spoken to them. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus wants us to have his joy. But he doesn't want it just to have it just at church or just, you know, once in a while. He wants it to remain in us, and he wants us to have it to the full. I think that's wonderful. You know, in Nehemiah, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, as you walk in joy in this world, you will attract people to the gospel because they'll wonder, what is wrong with you? Don't you read the news? Don't you? I mean, what is going on? I mean, you're going through some tough things. Why do you have joy? But Jesus is telling us some things here in this passage of how we can have his joy, how it can remain in us, and how we can have it to the full. I love that. He doesn't want us just to have a little bit of joy. He wants us to have it to the full. You know, we often talk about our, my cup runneth over, right? We talk about that. Well, this is what it's saying. When my cup runneth over with joy. I have this joy. And he tells us here in this passage some things that, that first of all, that if we just understand these things, it will help us to have joy. But then he gives us some tools to have the joy that, we, that he wants us to have. So let's look. It says here in 15.1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the true vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse number 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you, God, for this passage. I thank you that you want us to have joy, Lord. I know that we can because if we get what you say in this passage, if, if we read the Bible, you want us to have joy. In fact, we can even joy in our trials because we know that you're working in our life. I pray, Father, that you would help us all to walk in your joy and that we would uh, allow it to remain in us and allow us to have it to the full so that we, so others can see that we believe you. We believe that you're able to handle any situation no matter what we find ourselves in. I pray, Father, you would help us all to learn that tonight, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a couple things that we need to understand from this passage. Again, this is another agricultural illustration that Jesus has given us to explain a spiritual truth. We see he starts off in verse number one, I am the true vine. And he's starting to paint a picture here. He's starting to give us an understanding about the vineyard, that there's like this vineyard of God. And in this vineyard, there's only one way to get into the vineyard, and that's through the true vine. So the, un, the only way that you can have the joy that he's talking about here is you fu- first must be in the vineyard of God. And there's only one way to get in there, and that's through Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight, and maybe you think, well, I, I don't know, I, if, you're, if you're trying to get into the vineyard some other way, maybe you're here tonight and say, well, of course I'm in the vineyard. I'm a pretty good person. Then you're trying to get in based on your merit, not through Jesus Christ. Maybe you say, well, I've always grown up in the church, so certainly I'm in the vineyard of God because I've been faithful to church. My parents always brought me to church. Again, you're not going in through, the, the, through Jesus Christ. You're coming in some other way. It talks about what will happen to the man in verse number six. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. There are those that are trying to get into the vineyard of God some other way than Jesus Christ. And if you were to ask them, if you were to die tonight and stand before God in heaven, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? Then they would tell you something to the effect of what I just said, that, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I haven't been, done anything really bad. I, I try to do good because they're trying to get into heaven some other way. They're trying to go over the fence some other way. But that's a thief and a robber that's trying to do it that way. And this, it's very clear there's only one way to get into heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. He, he says in a later passage, and I already mentioned this, in, in, I mean, excuse me, in John 14, in verse number 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. So if you're here tonight, you, there's no way you can have the joy that we're going to talk about here in the next few passages unless you've come into the vineyard that way. But the great news is, is that you can And so tonight you can get that right. You have to realize just like I did at the age of 18 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous. That there is no way to get into his vineyard. There's no way to get into heaven except through Jesus Christ because we've all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory. But that can, you can change that tonight. I won't spend a lot of time there because most of you are here on a Sunday night, so that usually means, and it's even a Super Bowl Sunday night, and so that means you've probably already heard this before and trusted in Christ. But if you haven't, please do not leave this place without coming through Jesus Christ to get into his family. But not only is he the true vine, and the only way we can have the joy he's talking about and have eternal life is through him. It says, and my father is the husbandman. And this is a very important part of the passage. Because if we understand this right here, this will help us to have joy in and of itself. So what it's saying here is that as you're in the family of God, that the father is the husbandman. Well, what is a husbandman? I know that's not a term we use a lot anymore, but he is the one that is responsible for everything in the garden. 
everything in the vineyard he's responsible for, to make sure that everything goes as it should and that you will grow and bear fruit, that all the plants would do that. And so if we realize that, if you're going through a trial in your life or if something's happened in your life, you can realize, well, the Father's got me because he's responsible for me. The Father is the husbandman. He is responsible for your life. Now, we see here that there's some things that he will do. In verse number two, it says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, he's going to do some purging in our life. He's going to do some pruning in our life. He's going to get rid of things that don't allow us to bear fruit. Because that's what a husbandman does. They get rid of, they prune the plant so that you may grow and bear more fruit. And bearing fruit, we'll see in just a minute, is what brings glory to God. And that's what we all should want to do. But so as we see that, sometimes he's going to uh, do some things in our life that we're going to be like, why are you doing that, God? Now, you know, one of the things when we surrendered, uh, we've, it's been wonderful. I can, I can tell you about praise after praise after praise. But there's also been some things that God has pruned out of our life. He's allowed some trials and some tribulations in our life to help us to grow and mature in areas that we, are, we need growth and, and, and maturity so that we can bear more fruit for his name. We've had to learn to trust him. You know, as we stepped out and doing this, we use Psalm 34, specifically verse number eight, but the whole psalm is wonderful. But it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we've stepped out in faith, trusting God that he is going to care for us as we uh, are headed to China. And, you know, he has been good to us. He has done everything that he says. And then it says, blessed is the man that trusteth in me. We can truly say that he has taken care of all our needs. And, and, and even things that, that look very bleak. But as we prayed and fasted and trusted in him, he took care of those needs. There were some relational problems and there was some different things, not in, between my wife and I, but in, in our family and things that we, all these things, and God took care of those because he is good and he will do that. So, but he also did some pruning and, and we had to realize, and one of the things that we often do when we try to, we, we, we don't want God to do any pruning in our life, right? One of the things that I would encourage you to do is say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I believe that you are the husbandman and you will care for this. I know that you will care for this and I can trust you with it. And if we realize that, that will bring us joy just knowing that he is sovereign over our life, that he can, can, he can take care of us even amongst those trials, and that will bring us great joy. That's why we as Christians can have joy even when we're right in the middle of a trial, even when we're right in the middle of something very difficult. You know, my wife and I, um, the reason why she's not here is because uh, she, was, uh, the, the, she went through a, a a medical appointment recently, and they found a mass on her. And so because of that, so she was biopsied on Thursday, and so we're going to find out tomorrow whether or not what that is, if it's just uh, cancerous or it's not cancerous. You know, that's a trial. Because not only does it, it affect her, and our biggest concern is her. I mean, she's fine physically. We would have had no idea if she wouldn't have went in and got tested. So she's fine in that sense. But, it, but obviously, if there's a concern there, but we can trust God. The reason why I have peace and I have joy even amongst that is because I know that God is working and he's doing a work in our life that, because he wants us to trust him. And I know I can because I realize this wonderful truth right here, that he is the husbandman and he is working in my life. He's working in Rebecca's life. And so both of us really, we have joy through this trial. We don't know what the outcome will be tomorrow. It could literally change our future direction. But we know that God has it all in control. 
I don't have to worry. I can have peace and joy, and so can you, no matter what the trial is you face. No matter what you go through, you know, and when people see that, they'll want to know the Jesus that you know. They'll want to know the fact that you have a husband that's caring for you. The Father is watching over you. We know that we can have that joy. You know, the, the, the Bible says, count it all joy. It uses that word again, count it all joy. That when you, when you fall into diverse temptations, that means that when you're in trials, that we can count it joy. Why? Well, that really doesn't make sense to me when I read that by itself, but when I read it in, in context with this and in the context of that passage, I realize the reason why, because God is working in my life, and he's working in your life with different trials that you have, and so you can count it joy, even when you don't understand what's going on. So I would encourage you in that. But not only is he our, our, our source, he is the true vine and he's our sovereign, but he's also our satisfaction. In verse number eight, it says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You know, the way we should get our satisfaction is by serving God and bearing much fruit for his name. You know, oftentimes the reason why we get discouraged and our joy level goes way down is because we start living just like other people in this world. We, we, our focus is just like their focus. And I would encourage you to find your joy from bearing much fruit for him. Asking God on a daily basis, how can I serve you better? What can I do to be, bring glory to your name? Because, you know, that's, the Bible tells us in Revelation, that, Revelation 4.11, that that's why you and I were created. We weren't created so that the world would revolve around us. We were created to bring honor and glory to his name. That's why everything was created. And when we get that, we, our joy level goes way up because we get our eyes off of ourselves and on him. But then I want to just talk about five things that we see in this passage. Just These are brief things that encourage us, that the things that we can do in order to have the joy that he talks about. First of all, it, it kind of brings it all together in verse number seven. We'll get there in just a minute. But we see that we in this passage it says, abide in me in verse number four. And uh, that word abide means to remain or to stay. And so we need to stay connected to Jesus. We need to stay seeking him and drawing near to him. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to him, added to you. So the thing is, we need to stay connected. But not only do we need to stay connected, we need to stay cleansed. In verse number three, it says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. You know, that's a beautiful passage right there. Because God has given us this word to keep us clean. Well, what does clean mean for a plant? Remember, that's the, the illustration he's given us here. Clean for a plant means that you're healthy, that you're able to bear much fruit. And so how you and I remain healthy and able to bear much fruit is by reading the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God. I, I really like your little chart back there. That's so important. I was telling pastor that I really enjoy that, the fact that people are reading the Word of God through in a year. That is so important to read the Word of God on a daily basis. If you're not doing that, I would challenge you, I would implore you, I would encourage you to read the Word of God because it's what will keep you clean. You know, I was telling pastor that changed my life when I got serious about reading the Word of God on a daily basis because, it, you know, it says that you'll be clean. All these struggles that I had, many, many struggles, not, now, not that I don't have struggles, but I had a lot, lot more struggles. But when I started reading the Word of God on a daily basis, I was so much stronger spiritually that I, I, I didn't even think about it. I mean, they, they just kind of passed away. And so if you want to be a strong Christian, you want to be one that's able to bear much fruit, get into the Word of God. 
have the mind of Christ. And so we need to stay cleansed. So we need to stay connected. We need to stay cleansed. But we need to stay uh, um, conformed. Verse number 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We, not only, we don't only read the word just for information. We need to read it for transformation. We want to obey what we read. You know, the psalm that you picked, I thank you so much for trust and obey. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. I mean, as you read the Word of God, you need to obey the Word of God. And that's how you will have this joy that Jesus talks about here. But not only are we to stay conformed, we also stay communicating. In verse number 7, like I said, it kind of brings these points together. It says, if you abide in me, stay connected. And my words abide in you, stay um, cleansed and conformed. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You know, we have a great privilege we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. You and I can talk to the creator and sustainer of the world. We can, the Bible says in Ephesians that we have access. You know, they didn't have access like we have access before Jesus came. He gives us access. He gives, we can come boldly before us. But not only when we come boldly, we don't find a God that doesn't understand us. Jesus was tempted in all ways. And so he understands exactly what you and I are going through. And the Bible says that we can cast our cares on him, for he cares for us. That will bring you joy if you really cast them. The problem is we usually kind of set them over there, right, and then pull them right back. But we need to cast them on him and let him take care of them. He's the husbandman. It's not our responsibility. It's his responsibility. Give them over to him. And if we stay that, that our joy level will go way up because we don't have to worry about things. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because, for one thing, Jesus says there's enough evil in today, so don't worry about tomorrow. But I don't have to worry about tomorrow because I know that I know the God that created everything, and he loves me, and I'm his, and he is for me, as it says in Romans chapter number 8. He is for you. And so we can trust him. We can cast our cares. We can talk to him. So stay communicating. Then we'll close with this last one. We need to stay charitable. In verse number 12, it says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Notice what he says next. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know, that's the, we need to stay charitable. One of the times when I was really kind of, I was discouraged, I I don't, I usually sleep very soundly. But for some reason, I woke up about one o'clock in the morning, and I was just discouraged. I can't even explain why I was discouraged. This was, this was about, um, eight, eight or nine months into deputation, and I, woke, I, I remember I was just sitting there discouraged, and I, I thought, you know, I'm going to te- text and email a couple of my fellow missionaries and ask them to give me some encouragement in the morning. And as I was thinking it, I had my plan all worked out, as on who I was going to reach out to and all this. The Lord just spoke to me real clear, and he said, who have you encouraged in a while? And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I haven't been. I've been so busy trying to get things done that I need to get done that I haven't been encouraging others. So what I did instead is I, I started sending out text and email in the morning, and I started just uh, thanking these different men in my life for the blessing that they've been to me and telling them specific things, why, how they blessed my life. And, I, and you know what was amazing? My joy level went way up. I mean, I was so happy that day. I, the, I went from a discouragement at two o'clock, 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning to just being as happy as I could be because I forgot about myself. And I started thinking about other people. You know, if you really want your joy level to go up, forget about yourself. 
and start loving other people. So I just want to encourage you here. Notice how it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. So how do we stay charitable? Well, there's two different kinds of people that we need to be charitable towards. We need to be charitable towards those that are out, without. That means they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yet. And we need. how can we love them? How can we truly love them? We need to share the gospel with them. We need to invite them to church. I would encourage you to pick up tracks and have them with you. I, I have found, and this is going to surprise all of you, that if I don't carry tracks, I can't hand them out. So the first thing every one of us needs to do is make sure we have tracks in our pocket and ready to hand out. And if you have them ready to hand out, you know, just ask God to give you the boldness to do that. Invite uh, the people in the grocery store. Invite, you know, a plumber comes over or whatever, you know, and just say, hey, I want to invite you to church. You know, your pastor labors in the Word of God. He labors and and rightly divides the word of truth, and he preaches a message three times a week. And there's people all around here that need to hear that message. And if they hear those words of life, like uh, the the testimony of the encouragement from the morning, how many people do you think that are within a 10-mile radius of this church probably needed to hear that message this morning? So we need to get involved and invite people to church. So I would encourage you to have tracts with you. Make sure that they have the, um, the, uh, the address to the church and just say, hey, I'd like to invite you to church. You never know what God will do with that. But then ask God. You know, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. I would encourage you to ask God to put people in your life that you can share the gospel with. You know, it's an amazing thing. As we started, my wife and I started doing that, it was just wonderful to see the different ways that he would put people in our life that we had the opportunity to share the gospel with. Now, you know, uh, rarely, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if I'm not very good at it, but I mean, people are getting saved in our ministry, but it doesn't happen all the time. Don't be discouraged about that. Your responsibility is to get the message out. It's not to save people. You cannot do that. But it is our responsibility to share the message. And that's how we can love those without. But we also need to love those that are within. You know, one of the things I would encourage you, you know, Satan wants to cause division among you all. He wants to cause division in the church. So we need to be proactively loving one another. I would encourage ladies to love ladies, to send emails, texts, encouragement. Don't think about yourself. Think, how can I bless my sister and Lord? And men, do that for other men. How can I bless my brother in the Lord? You know, we have so many opportunities to communicate in this day and age? Are we taking advantage of those? Because you never know on a Tuesday morning how discouraged one of your brothers or sister are. And if you just send a little text saying, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you for this reason. Or you can just say, I love you. You know, just leave it at that. But there's different ways that we can do that. And as you forget about yourself and love other people, it's amazing how your joy level will go up. God has given us the way that we can have joy remain in us and how we can have it to the full. And first of all, we must realize that he is the only source. And he's the only way that you can have eternal life. So that would be the first thing you need to do if you've never settled that. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you do not have eternal life. And you need to settle that. But if you've already settled that, know that you're in his family. You're in his vineyard. He is the one that's responsible to care for you. And as he cares for you, you can trust him. That no matter what he's doing in your life, he's going to do some pruning, he's going to do some work in your life, but don't fight him on that. Allow him to do that work. And then realize our satisfaction should come from serving him. And then remember the five stays. Stay connected, stay cleansed, stay uh, conformed, stay communicating, and lastly, stay charitable. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this evening. I thank you for each person that is here.
I pray that you would bless them, Lord, and help us all to apply this to our life, God. Help us to take your word, because it's so imperative that we have a joy, Lord. If we, if we walk around moping and complaining in this world, disputing and murmuring, people aren't going to want to know you. And there's really no reason for us to do that, because we do know you. We know the creator and sustainer of the world, and you are a good father. You care for us. You, you will care for all our needs. You provide for us. As this, our sister testified tonight, how you provided for her. And God, we can all testify that if we are looking to you and following what your word says. And I pray that we learn from that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.